Welcome to the Truth Across Time podcast. I'm your host, Sheila Farmer. As a lifelong student of history and English, I enjoy learning about the cultures, customs, and lifestyles in the Bible. Please join me as we explore the fascinating world of biblical events and the people involved. You'll see that the people of the Bible had concerns, triumphs and tragedies, joys and sorrows, successes and failures, not too different from our own. But because the Bible is God's Word, we can learn spiritual, eternal truths while looking at those people. Now let's go on this adventure and explore the truths that cross the limits of time and location. Welcome to this week's podcast. Our current series is Visiting with the Prophets, and this week we're focusing on Jonah and Nahum. They're both considered minor prophets. Remember, the terms major prophets and minor prophets has nothing to do with importance. It just means that the major prophets wrote more. The minor prophets wrote shorter books. In order to understand Jonah and Nahum, one needs to have a basic understanding of who they were prophesying to and about. So we need to dig into the history just a little. I think the historical information is fascinating, but I know that not everyone would agree with that. However, bear with me and see if the historical information doesn't deepen your understanding of and appreciation for what the prophets had to say. Jonah was sent by God to preach and prophesy to the citizens of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This was probably sometime between 793 and 753 B.C. Nahum prophesied about a hundred years later, probably around 663 to 612 B.C. But what and where was Assyria and Nineveh? Initially, in its earliest days of existence, the area that became known as Assyria was settled by the most ancient Babylonian colonists, people who were descended from the people of Nimrod's day. The 10th chapter of Genesis tells us that they were descended from Ham, a son of Noah. Ham had a son named Cush, and Cush then had a son named Nimrod. Verses 8 through 11 say this, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala. And then the following verses tell us more about the descendants of Ham. References to Assyria are found on clay tablets that are dated as early as 2350 B.C. These tablets were found by archaeologists in what is modern-day Iraq. The early Assyrians were a very fierce, warlike people. They were extremely aggressive, more so than many of the neighboring Semitic people groups, even the earliest Babylonians. Their languages had much in common, but very distinct dialects did develop over time. As the Assyrians grew in power, 
they gradually conquered neighboring tribes and other people and eventually developed into the Assyrian Empire. This empire reached its height probably in the 1200s BC, although some historians say that the empire reached its height in the 900s BC. It had conquered the first Babylonian empire, and at its peak, it covered more than 500,000 square miles. Thousands of clay tablets of ancient Assyrian writings have been uncovered by archaeologists, especially those in the area of Nineveh. Universities and museums in both North America and Europe house many of them. Again, the Assyrians were a fierce, harsh, war-loving people who delighted in plundering other countries and forcing them to pay tribute. The king was almost always a general of the army, tyrannical, and a total authoritarian. His word was law. The whole organization of the state in Assyria was built around the king, and it was military in nature. In Nineveh, the palace dominated, and the temple was basically just a big chapel attached to the palace. The king's palace and its attached temple far exceeded the size of other temples in Assyria. The leading top god was named Asher, spelled A-S-S-H-U-R. Asher was the incarnation of war. He embodied the spirit and the nature of war, and other so-called gods were secondary to him. Assyria was the most vicious empire in ancient times. Their top goal, their main purpose, was to instill fear and abject servitude in others. They used terror tactics, and they glorified and celebrated their horrible tactics and their values in their art. Many carvings on palace walls and on other buildings show exactly what they did to their enemies, and sometimes even to their own people who disobeyed. Remember, they were proud of these tactics, and they recorded them, things that we would look upon with horror, such as swinging babies by their ankles and smashing them against stone walls, Dismembering soldiers. One of their kings, Kings Asher Nazarpal, and I'll spell that for you A S H U R N A S I R P A L, bragged in his own words I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off of others their noses, ears, extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. Another thing, they often beheaded defeated people. The same king that I just quoted often hung the heads on trees around conquered towns. Another king bragged about building a pyramid of chopped off heads in a city that he conquered. They often mutilated the bodies of their enemies. Some of what some of the kings did is just too repulsive to share in this forum. Another example, they often fed the bodies of their defeated enemies to dogs and pigs. 
They humiliated and tortured the leaders of their so-called enemies. Again, I'm quoting one of their kings here. He said that he put a dog chain on one leader and imprisoned him, and this is a direct quote, in a kennel at the eastern gate of Nineveh. There, travelers coming into or going out of the city could view and taunt that leader. There's so much more that we could discuss about the barbarity of the Assyrians, but I'm sure you get the picture. Generally, a super vicious, evil, barbaric culture that cared only for power and was controlled by demonic power. The United Nation of Israel split in two in 930 BC when King Solomon's son Rehoboam came to the throne. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel, while the southern kingdom became known as Judah, or Judea. Assyria conquered the northern kingdom in 722 BC. It forced thousands of the Jews to relocate to other areas and leave behind their homes, their relatives and friends, their native land. They were forced to assimilate into those other cultures, and eventually lost their Jewish identity. God allowed this to happen because Israel had basically turned to idol worship and heathen practices, abandoning the the worship of the true and the living God. He had warned them time and time again for many years to repent and turn back to him, but they did not do so. The Jews who were left in Israel when Assyria conquered it were forced to intermarry with foreigners who were themselves made to settle in Israel. This produced a mixed breed of people known as the Samaritans, even in New Testament times. The city of Samaria had been the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. But years before Assyria's conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel, God actually called a prophet to go to Nineveh and preach to the Assyrians to cry against it. Knowing what you know now about Assyria, can you blame Jonah for not wanting to go, a Jew voluntarily going among the Assyrians? I'm sure it sounded like a suicide mission to Jonah. You probably know the story. Jonah determined to not go to Nineveh and he rebelled against God by boarding a ship heading for the city of Tarshish. It's spelled T-A-R-S-H-I-S-H. By the way, there are several ideas about exactly where Tarshish was, what other more modern name it might be known by. There was a great storm. Jonah was cast overboard because even he said he was responsible for bringing on the punishment of that furious storm. God had prepared a great fish that swallowed Jonah, preventing him from drowning, and Jonah was kept in the fish's belly for three days. Once Jonah came to his senses and repented, God calls the fish to vomit out Jonah on shore. So many people take this as a parable, believing it to be quite impossible. Well, maybe in the natural it is, but I ask you, What is impossible for God, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who spoke worlds into existence? 
Is that too hard for him? A miracle, to be sure. Anyway, Jonah then went to Nineveh and preached. The basic message was that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days. Wonder of wonders. The king proclaimed a fast. The people repented, and God spared the city. Jonah's reaction? He became angry and petulant. Instead of being glad that people had listened to him and had at least temporarily turned to God, he was very upset that God didn't immediately carry out the punishment that he had sent Jonah to warn them about. We know that the destruction came many years later because the Assyrians didn't truly repent and turn to the true God for long. But how like a gracious, merciful, loving God. He responded even to their temporary repentance. He gave them time and space to truly turn to him before he allowed their utter destruction. Jonah's story ends abruptly, and we're not told what happened to him. Fast forward about a hundred years. God calls on Nahum to deliver Jonah's basic message to Assyria all over again. Judgment is coming. Many Bible scholars believe that Nahum lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, as it seems like they're his audience, but we're not 100% sure. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Nahum says that he lived in Elkosh, but there's no agreement on where that ancient city actually was. Remember, the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. Many people believed that Nahum prophesied around 663 to 612 B.C. His message, the end of Assyria is in sight. Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 says, The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Verse 14 says this, The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. Assyria had built a lavish capital in Nineveh, funded by the money that conquered countries were forced to pay. The palace alone covered three large city blocks, and in that desert area, it was surrounded by a river, by moats, and had at least eight miles of city walls. But these advantages and barriers won't be enough to protect Nineveh. Here are some of the prophetic declarations that we know were fulfilled to the letter. This is just a few of them. 1. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, He who scatters or destroys has come up before your face. In 612 BC, a coalition force made up of the second Babylonian kingdom, the Medes, and the Scythians from farther north, March on Nineveh. A second one, verses 6 through 8 from chapter 2 of Nahum says, The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed. She shall be led away captive, 
She shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. The Babylonian Chronicle, Babylon's ancient report on this battle, says that a flood washed away part of the wall and allowed the invading army to get into Nineveh. Another example, verse 9 of chapter 2 says, Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. Again, the Babylonian Chronicle confirms the massive wealth that was taken from Nineveh. Another example, verse 15 of chapter 3 says, Fire will devour you. The invaders set fire to the city, so much so that even stone walls were charred. And the last example is, verse 13 of chapter 2 says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. This means that Nineveh was so thoroughly destroyed that it has never been rebuilt, and it was no longer a power. For centuries, sandstorms have covered it. The once proud and vicious empire of Assyria was brought low and was conquered by the Second Babylonian Empire around 605 B.C. The evil empire that had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, as well as other nations in that part of the world, was now itself conquered by another. So, what do we learn from Jonah and Nahum? Several things, I believe, such as, God always gives people the opportunity to repent and to turn from evil before he brings judgment. He always sends warnings, giving opportunities for change. Another thing, God is merciful and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But there comes a time when judgment against sin will be executed. He provides a remedy for sin, but he does not overlook sin. Another thing, we must understand that even though God allowed other nations to punish Israel for her disobedience and spiritual adultery, those nations were themselves wicked and also faced destruction for their evil. Another point, God is totally in control of the past, the present, and the future. He is sovereign. No nation, no puny man-made power can defy him indefinitely, only as long as he permits and for his purpose. We should be so incredibly grateful for the Word of God, for what he shows us in it, for the lessons we can learn. History itself confirms the accuracy of God's Word. What a mighty God we serve, a God who has all power and all knowledge, yet desires relationship with and closeness with us. 
we should be so thankful for the Holy Spirit who leads us to understanding and makes the Word of God alive to us. And of course, for our great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who made it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God and to be part of His family. We are so very, very blessed. Please join me on my next podcast as we study more Truth Across Time. I hope this podcast encourages you to develop a closer relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, I pray you will ask Him to be the Lord of your life today. God bless. See you next week.